Hi there. I'm Joe Dudek, president and founder of Keyhole Marketing. And I'm Shannon Jarek. I work for Keyhole as the assistant brand manager. And this is Metaphorically Speaking, a podcast that explores the mysterious side of marketing. Welcome back to season two of Metaphorically Speaking. Hopefully you're enjoying our conversation about how fear impacts us and and how we live, how we work, and how we play. If you haven't got a chance to listen to the first couple of episodes in this series, feel free to go back and kind of take a listen from the beginning. We talk really about sort of just the fact that everybody deals with fear. We dive into how people define fear for themselves and what some of our biggest fears are. And then we discussed in episode two some of the science behind how we physically lodge how fear physically lodges within us so hopefully you'll find those interesting and they can kind of good set a good stage for what we're going to talk about today which is how we respond to fear both healthy and unhealthy reactions to that well it was funny we were working together earlier today and just researching fear and kind of talking about fear when sufjan steven's song love yourself actually came on so to kind of start with the reflection i wanted to share some of those lyrics that we were um, even listening to today so He says, love yourself. You are the one thing I needed. Share of yourself. Show me the things that you believe in. Hmm. I'm I'm a big sucker for his Sufjan song, (laughs) so I'm so glad we found a chance to... Finally incorporate that in. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's really a great segue into our conversation today and sets up a a nice foundation for us as we talk about our responses to fear, Um, sometimes intentional responses and on time just automatic responses. And it makes us think about some of the questions we ask people on our survey where we first asked them, you know, how do they tend to respond when fear arises? And we actually gave, you know, a couple options uh, and then an opportunity to choose another if none of our options were relevant. But recognize it and then run from it, either fight or challenge it, share it with your friends or family, pretend it's not there altogether, or what's your other response? And it was really interesting to find out kind of the top contenders in our responses were share it with friends or family, and fight or challenge it. Um, Third place was other. And uh, (laughs) we had some answers like pray, recognize a pattern, and examine whether it's a fear or a weakness, Uh, analyze it to to identify the actual risk, which is often not there, recognize it, dissect why, evaluate my options, address it, and move on, process it for too long, put it off until I'm forced to address it. So, again, we were just so grateful for the vulnerability and the answers we yeah. got and um, just really interesting to sort of see how how people express their their natural response to fear definitely and I found some of these responses actually pretty interesting um, you know we had 36 percent say that they would fight it or challenge it head-on and I think I expected to see a lot less of that and mm-hmm. more people that kind of ran from it you know and were and were freaked out and we should say this was of 50 people so this yes. was 36 percent of three people Five. who fill that response yeah so. true true um, so yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Um, and I also love to see just that so many people choose to be vulnerable about what they're afraid of. Mm-hmm. Based on uh, the survey, you know, they said they would share it with friends or family and they're willing to share it with people close to them. That's just not something that I do well. So I admire the people that say when those times of fear arise, they're, they're quick to share. For sure. So it's interesting. 
Um, so to talk about some of those survey responses on how you wish you responded, we just talked about how they initially respond. And then we were just really curious to know if people had a problem with how they responded. Yeah. Like I said, there's that natural response, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And then there's that, oh, I wish I would I would have done this. And yeah. That was really interesting to find out what they said. Exactly. So some people said, you know, face and defeat it, fight it hard, aggressively, uh, just head on or confront it. Um, and then others said things like, I wish I responded to fear intentionally and not reflexively. So with a sense of mm-hmm. a clear mind and, you know, making a logical decision before I just dive right in. Um, you know, and along with that, just identifying the root cause. Why was I afraid? Um, others say they wish they would make progress and keep focus on the purpose instead of like that fear of perfection that comes over them. Um, and I love ones that just said they would feel their feelings, breathe, rehearse a truth, and then take an action step. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of interesting kind of combative words. And then there's others that just say, I want to talk more about it. I want to have greater faith or optimism when I respond to it, mm-hmm. and that kind of a thing. And the one I think you didn't mention there was the, my favorite was the tell it to F off <laughs> yep. uh, response to fear. Which, you know, again, I love that honesty. In, in the sense of like, I wish in those moments that's I had more strength, I had more power, I had a stronger voice. And, um, you know, I just, again, appreciated the honesty and vulnerability. Absolutely. I think that one thing I'm loving seeing through this process is exactly what you say, that vulnerability. And I think what I'm noticing is there's such an important piece of awareness here. If we're mm-hmm. aware of what we've been talking about how fear is defined, how it lodges itself in our bodies, and even now the question of how I wish I responded to it. I think just that simple awareness is going to be huge for all of us in growing when we respond to fear. Yeah, and we had some thoughts too, even before this conversation uh, or or request of our survey respondents, and then um, definitely thereafter when we heard some of their things. Just had some general thoughts like, what are some healthy ways we can respond? You know, again, we've talked about those natural responses, the things that seem to be out of our control, but what are some ways we can maintain control and respond in healthy ways? So we've kind of got a couple options here for you to consider. The first thing that stood out to me was what we referenced in that initial quote from Sufyan was to love yourself. And as I mentioned earlier, it was definitely a not a thought that I, not a thing that I heard growing up at all. Loving yourself was much too selfish. Um, mm. We have too much pride, too much self-love already, so we need to you know, put ourselves aside and focus on other things in front of us. And, um, you know, I just think that over time I've learned that the lack of truth in that statement, I think I was very unkind to myself over all those years. And, you know, as a result, I sometimes just, you know, forgot to take a breath and and go easy on myself a little bit sometimes Mm -hmm. and held myself to a standard that wasn't, wasn't possible. And so in this, these fears that we've all talked about, whether it's having fears altogether or, not being able to seem to, to move through them and with them, um, you know, you can be really pretty hard on yourself and think that you're the only one out there on your own. So mm-hmm. just being loving, more, more loving to yourself. As and a I human. feel like our fears really accentuate that. You yeah. know, it tells you don't love yourself, yeah. don't take time for yourself. Now you're being selfish and yeah. it just kind of spirals. Yeah, another one um, is kind of just to be silly. Um, in a similar way as loving yourself, just giving yourself that permission to be genuine, be authentic. And if that's silly, then do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we talked about this in season one, but just the importance of making time for play or for celebration. Um, Allow yourself that opportunity because like I mentioned, sometimes our fears can be resolved when we 
we don't listen to them. We don't take ourselves so seriously mm-hmm. in what they're telling us. So I think it can be a good exercise in just letting go. It can bring you back to that childlike state of joy that I think we all look for. <laughs> yeah, but we definitely suppress and think that we can't do that because we're adults now and that was mm-hmm. all when we were childish. But there's so much missed opportunity there. I Absolutely. had this one experience. It was like when we were living up in the mountain before we bought our house in the springs and just thinking again about all the, the fears and apprehensions in that moment of buying a house, moving out here. All um, Is this the right place? Is it going to be checkout okay? Is it going to fall apart five minutes after we move in? Mm-hmm. All those kind of fears. And I remember walking around just on a hike that day um, up in Dillon and just singing out loud, like didn't care who heard me <laughs> and sort of dancing on this on this hike. And it was kind of a weird experience. I mean, internally, you're kind of processing that. and like, this is weird. Why am I doing this? Um, and I was with all my senses in that moment. So <laughs> I wasn't controlled by any sort of other sources. But um, I don't know. It was just still a, a funny thing to kind of pull back and go, why am I – why am I even thinking about this? Why am I so reserved even and mm-hmm. like enjoying the moment? But it was super helpful and just being, you know, relaxed and finding some mm-hmm. some space and being okay with that and saying, you know, again, you're you're human. You have um, challenges and it's okay to just be silly and lean into that. So, Absolutely, yeah, I like that one for sure. <laughs> and I think we've talked about it a few times, but really that connecting with others. And again, we've, we're not on an island. We're not out there by ourselves. We're not the only one experiencing these things. And so, how do we? open up and share those fears and apprehensions with other people around us and, you know, helping it therefore become less controlling uh, in our lives and maybe less overwhelming. And we're just helping to helping each other out and letting them help us out to carry some of those, the weights of that. And of course that doesn't happen if we keep everything to ourselves and think that we, you know, have to trudge on and, and be a stronger person. Being a stronger person can be being open with somebody else and, and right. connecting with them and saying, Hey, can you help me or can I help you? And mm-hmm. so I think that's another opportunity to really have a healthy response to fear. Absolutely. Well, in the survey responses, so many people said they wished mm-hmm. they could have that vulnerability. They could have that community to just be able to be honest with them. Yeah. So it's clearly a want that can be just so beneficial when dealing with fear. For sure. So another one that we I think really love to practice. I do not do a good job of this, and I really wish I did, but was just to find silence. Um, We oftentimes just drive in cruise control mode and let other forces and situations take control of us. And we have to be so plugged in every day, all day on our phones and our laptops, and we're run by deadlines. And there's something about just finding silence away from the craziness, taking time to be alone, Mm -hmm. Um, that just allows our mind to kind of work through some of those things that it really needs to. Um, We need to just encourage that beauty around us. You know, how can we give our mind space to discover and be creative and even just work the fear, you know, outside of itself? Yeah. So. Yeah, there's so many ways to find that silence. You know, it doesn't, some for some people it's yoga, some people it's meditation, some people it's journaling. So there's so many different ways that you can find works for you. You mm-hmm. don't have to, or it's maybe none of those three we just mentioned. And right. It's another, another way. It doesn't have to be sitting in a corner, yeah. you know, in quiet time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the opposite of that stood out to me, like speaking aloud. So sometimes it sounds like the opposite, I guess, in the sense of you're trying to find silence and now you're actually filling the space with, with noise. But the noise can be the truth that that it really is different to hear it come out of your own mouth, to hear it you know, echo in the space that you're in that instead of even just coaching ourselves up in our mind saying, okay, we're here, we're better. It's, it's going to be okay. Whatever those things we want to tell ourselves, um, 
or even just being honest with the fears, pains and joys, joys and hopes and stuff that live inside us, like getting those out and mm-hmm. sharing those, whether it's with a person or just filling the space with those words. I think that's super powerful too. That sometimes we downplay and go, that's weird. That's different. It's not, it doesn't mean anything different than if I say it internally. Well, there is quite a bit of a different response to you mm-hmm. in a way it sits with you and stays with you. Yeah. And you mentioned it briefly, but just the idea that it it should be honest. You can say, I'm scared, I'm afraid, mm-hmm. I'm not doing well. You know, it doesn't have to be, oh, I'm speaking aloud and I have to give myself a pep talk, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, um, and, and we kind of continue to mention this, but just taking time to choose space, you know, and if that space to be silent or if that space to talk aloud, um, it's just making deliberate choices about who you are and and who you allow into your life or what you allow into your life. Mm-hmm. Those Those fears or doubts to speak to you. Um, it's creating some boundaries against things that don't add value to your life. Yeah. And that can happen in what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to. Anything like that is affecting, you know, those thoughts or, or potential fears coming into your mind. Mm-hmm. So just choosing that space to, to make room for yourself to do things that align with your best version and not always considering everybody else around you. Yeah, and I think what comes to mind for me there is just you know, some of, what are the things we're feeling, like you mentioned, what are the things that are filling our, our minds up? So it's Fox News, CNN, what are the sources? And maybe those are healthy in some ways, in some forms for you, but, but maybe they're also inciting some of those fears for you. You're mm-hmm. seeing a story about this across the world and you're applying it to your own space and, and maybe those things are better kept on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you have more variety. You're not just looking at the one source who's creating some sort of uh, ongoing message in your mind, but, he's, but maybe it's a combination of some counter arguments to that to that perspective so yeah um i'm trying to be a little vague with that because i'm thinking about certain people in my mind or um and experiences but you know i think like just just the variety of content and also just maybe the amount of content because we just get we consume so much right which is hard to say as a content marketer (laughs) that's your job but last thing that came to my mind too is just nourishing ourselves um Again, we kind of disconnect sometimes the physical part of fear. And I think if we respond in healthy ways, like becoming more active, like getting um, up and standing more even or standing while we work or or taking breaks and walking outside, I mean, taking in some of the vitamin D that adds so much value to our lives, thinking about the foods and drinks that we're consuming. I mean, just consuming tons of alcohol, tons of carbs, all these things are not beneficial as mm-hmm. we move through fear and they do have a connection to that so you can't necessarily assume that that's that's that decision and then there's this fear thing going on and those are those are connected so what are some things we need to pay attention to i think that's something that my wife and i have really tried to pay attention to in our journey um her health journey and the things that it's woken up for us and what ways we should change our lifestyle to you know take care of ourselves and um emotionally spiritually uh physically and We've learned a lot. I mean, we're going to be married 20 years next year, which is Wow, nuts. congratulations. Well, we're not there yet. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. And we've, I mean, that's crazy. It doesn't make any sense that it's been that long. But at the same time, it does make sense because there is so much that's, I feel like we've learned so much about about ourselves, about each other, about this pairing of two people. And especially in the realm of fear, because Lindsay and I are very, uh, my wife's name is Lindsay, <laughs> she and I are, <laughs> very different in how we respond. And she much more easily acknowledges its existence and um, sees it as there where I'm much more prone to, that's good, <laughs> everything is awesome. So 
that Lego. You're guy. always living in this optimistic world. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that's not reality either. So really <laughs> finding that balance and helping each other, you know, finding some some grace in you know with each other and saying, okay, they're not going to be the same way I am. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, you know, how do I help them move from maybe an unhealthy place for them too? It doesn't mean that they need to be like me, but maybe just for them to to move forward with it. And so I wanted to just have a conversation with her and just share a little bit in this in this podcast about the things we've learned over those 20 years and things we're still learning and um, some of the resources that we found helpful in that process. So we'll take a listen to that conversation. Well, here we are in the uh, podcast studio for the first time after 19 years of marriage. How have we never done this before? I even had a radio show in college and everything. You never invited me, apparently. Well, they didn't have a budget to fly you down from Chicago. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> it would have been amazing. Who knows what we could have done with our lives. Yet here we are. So today we're talking about fear. And we've been married, as I just said, 19 years. So we've learned quite a bit about each other in that time. Dated for a couple years before that. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to bring you in here and kind of get your perspective because I know one thing I've learned in all those years is we respond quite differently to fear. And uh, would you agree? Yes, but from what I'm about to talk about, I think our our core motivation is different, just how we come at it. Yeah. Our core motivation is the same, excuse the same. me, but how we come at, at it is different, yeah. Yeah, so I just thought that would be interesting. I know there's a lot of other people, you know, we talk a lot about in this podcast, in this episode, particularly about how do we respond to fear? And there's a lot of different ways in which we do that. So I know you and I, when we're confronted with fears, either jointly or individually, we we just laugh at each other sometimes <laughs> and how we, how we both uh, look at it so differently. So I, think I know one thing that's really changed, and I wanted to focus most of our conversation on this, um, one thing that's changed our perspectives is the revelation or connection we've had to the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Um, which has kind of been around for a while, but has had a resurgence recently. First, maybe tell, like, how did you get connected to that? Sure. And, you know, maybe share a little bit about, like, what it is on a high level. Yeah, I think that the timing was was no coincidence. You know, I'd just gone through major health challenges and lifestyle changes that you, you took on with me and helping me get better. And uh, the summer after that had all happened, we were, you and I were at a, retreat center in Texas and some of the people there were talking about the Enneagram and I mm-hmm. couldn't join in the conversation and I was really curious what are these numbers and what are these people talking about um, but I, I kind of wrote it down like I do with a lot of things and never got around to you know researching it yet and then over Christmas some really close friends of ours who um, we value and respect their opinion and, and their marriage said you guys we've done this test and it's absolutely life-changing you have to do this like it's just incredible Mm -hmm. um and to hear him uh talk about it and to see them talk about it together uh sparked my curiosity and so i think we're probably we've both done personality yeah yeah we've done myers-briggs yeah a little bit and oh they went to to this workshop and blah 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 but then a few weeks later i was just having real conflict with a couple of my coworkers who I'd worked with for a long time and but I knew at my core that the problem was me it was not them and I hated the thoughts that I was having and the the feelings that were coming up 
And so I texted that friend and I said, can you tell me again what that name of that that test is, this Enneagram thing? And he told me and he said, by the way, you might want to start here. And he sent me a link to the podcast, The Road Back to You, mm-hmm. which was written by two authors who then did a podcast when the book released. And um, they said, take the test and when you find out what you are, let me know and then I'll send you the next podcast to listen to. And <laughs> I remember sitting and listening to the podcast once I learned my number and just like laughing and crying through the whole thing and listening to it twice because finally I heard other people who sounded like me and Mm -hmm. I didn't feel so alone. I just felt like I suddenly had this sisterhood of of other people who viewed the world the same way I did. And it's it's been around for a while. It has been. It's actually, it's been all sorts of different forms for thousands of years and it has roots. some religious roots, some not. Some spiritual practices take it one way, some don't, or they do take it another. But basically, in summary, if I could explain it, it's basically nine different ways people think um, and feel and act in relationship to the world and others and themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like Myers-Briggs with introversion and extroversion and thinking and feeling. It's more these nine numbers that we are all more or less more like. Not to say like once you're a number, you can't be another number. It's just the one you identify with the most. Um, And then they group them into three different triads based on core motivations. Mm -hmm. So do you want me to get into that a little bit? Yeah, maybe just on a high level, talk about those numbers. uh, And then we'll kind of talk about ours specifically as we get into that. But just to give people a sense of... I don't know. You know them way better than yeah. I do. So if you can walk through one through nine. The, well, so there's basically three triads. There's an anger triad, the shame triad, and the fear triad. And again, the underlying like core motivation, what makes you move in that way. So I'm basically, I'm going to actually start at eight. So this is the anger triad. An eight is a, the challenger. The nine is the peacemaker. The one is the reformer. And so those three numbers kind of all share similar motivations. That's one of the triads. Mm -hmm. And then the next triad over is the shame triad. So at the base, there's always shame. Uh, Two is the helper. Three is the achiever. And four is the individualist. And then the last triad, which you and I both fall into, Mm -hmm. is the fear triad. So the five is the investigator. The six is the loyal skeptic. And the seven is the enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And why is it the fear triad? That when you boil down to why are you doing what you're doing, it's from a place of fear. Hmm. If, if you could ask, you know, I'm nervous about starting my new job. Well, why are you nervous? Well, because it might not work. Well, wh- what would happen if it wouldn't work? Well, then we won't have any money. Well, what happens if you don't have any money? Well, then this, and, and you go to like worst case scenario. So there's fear. Whereas another person might say, oh, it makes me not look good in front of my friends or it tarnishes my image or people might think I'm fat. That's more from a shame base. Mm -hmm. So fear is the base where we come from. Gotcha. So, yeah, you're a six. Mm -hmm. I'm a seven. Maybe just break those down for us on a high level. So you and I actually view the world through very similar lenses, but then our (laughs) our interpretations. Yes. You go north and I go south. Um, so a six, at, at my healthiest, I am responsible, dependable, and courageous, and I move through the fear. Um, but at on my unhealthy, I am severely anxious, depressive, incessantly worrying, and never able to see the bright side. Mm-hmm. And then you, at your best, 
are also some of those things, very responsible, courageous, dependable. Uh, but then at your worst, you have way too many things going on. You make it more about you and less about others. And you can just push pain way down. Mm-hmm. So I would focus more on the pain and you would ignore the pain. Yeah. Yeah, I know that with mine, of course, you know this way better than I do, but uh, I think it's called the Peter Pan kind mm-hmm. of Peter Pan complex. Complex, yeah, in number seven, just because, I mean, the world is awesome and there's just. You're you kind of no like Emmett. Yeah, yeah, you're Emmett from the Lego story. Well, yeah. So I'm everybody but myself. I'm Peter Pan or I'm Emmett. <laughs> but no, I, and it's true. I mean, there. I just remember this one story we were talking earlier today and. At our last house, we had a rhododendron bush out front. Is that right? It was no, it was a hydrangea bush. There you go. Okay. doesn't really matter for the story. but Yeah, it does. Okay. Because <laughs> it has to do with life and death of the bush. Yeah. Okay. So the bush, we had planted it a couple years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a really dry summer, this, the summer before, I think. And then this one was not starting off well. And then we were both out in the yard looking at it. And you were like... If I remember right, said something like, "Oh, that thing is dead. It's dead." It does because the hydrangea shows the wilted, and you're supposed to leave the pods of flowers on to kind of dry, but then it can look like completely dead, and there's no hope. And I was like, "Just dig it up. This thing's done." done." And I looked at it and said, "Oh my gosh, it looks so much better than last year." And I see green on it. Yeah, there's so so much potential. We're looking at the exact same bush, but um, it when we both started laughing in that moment because we were starting to learn more about the enneagram, and so we kept. You know, you're such a six, you're such a seven, because it just, in that small perspective, it's the same bush. We're staying in the same spot. We can see both the, the dead and the living in it. And you're like, let's call it a day. Let's wrap it up. And I'm thinking, let's just see what happens. It's mm-hmm. going to be great. So, I mean, that was just a small example. We've had that many, many times over the last several years. Think about, um, you know, we've had a crazy couple months coming out here, mm-hmm. maybe early couple years. Um well, it's funny, even that's probably just a, a quick note there. For me, it's been a couple of months. For Lindsay, it's been several years. Um, I mean, we had been talking about moving out here for several years, but I didn't really kickstart my apprehensions or fears about it until probably when we were already out here thinking like how to get a house. And Which Lindsay, actually, when I was talking about that conflict I was having with coworkers, it was around moving to Colorado mm-hmm. because it was the way I was initially very excited and then I was very fearful and I was so stuck in my fear that their optimism was frustrating me um, because I didn't think that was possible because all I saw were the negatives. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did actually on this podcast, um, I've already shared some of my fears and apprehensions around moving. So there are, there are really, there, there really were several in my life, but I would ignore them. As you said earlier, just my, the seventh thing, it would just sort of like push it under the rug everything's great and you know eventually it comes to like haunt me in the middle of the night and now I've got 30 fears that I've been accumulating over time and haven't been dealing with but talk about some of the fears that you process over the last couple years and then you know how did you respond to those yeah I think I'd start by saying that we all kind of come by our Enneagram numbers pretty naturally um, based of our family of origin and how we were raised so when I can kind of unpack and look at the numbers, I can very clearly see in my family which parent was a six, which grandparent was a six, and who I related to the most. And so what I thought was just natural or like, oh, this is how 
everybody responds because my dad responded this way and his dad responded this way to learn and understand like, oh, that's <laughs> that's actually a really unhealthy place to be coming from, from a scarcity model. So they came from a, a very fear, scarce mindset. So some of the, which would also then explain why they never moved. Mm. I'm kind of unpacking this right now. <laughs> this is live, folks. So my dad has lived in the same county and practically the same city for 76 years, which is the same one that his dad lived in for 86 years, which is the same one that his mom lived in for 60 years. Actually, my great-grandma never left the state of Indiana. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was a different different yeah, time, yeah, but, yeah. you know, I, I see the, that fear underneath it. So some of the fear with me was just this this moving thing of, like, what are we doing? Even though you and I had done it before, we'd never moved with a dog and a kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it was the fear of what if somebody gets sick? What if somebody gets injured? I remember our dog Rudy at one of the Airbnbs we were staying at. Um, he hurt his leg and I'm panicked because we don't know a vet and we just got here and what if he's going to die? Like I go straight to that. Like, oh, he has a limp leg. He's going to die. And now how do we explain this to our son and so much trauma? We just moved and like it just all became awful rather than being able to stop that train of thought and say like, okay, I, I, I get there eventually. It's yeah. just the the speed with which I get there is differing. Um, so I had a fear of health. That was a big thing for, for the dog, for Quinn. Quinn had a couple health issues and I'm like, well, what if it turns into this and this and this? Or maybe that's actually just anxiety coming mm -hmm. out of his body. Uh, fear of money. Cost of living here is astronomical compared to where we came from. So how much is our mortgage? And wait, how much are utilities? And can I get a cost of living increase in my salary? Um, two of the biggest ones, one was failure. So like, what if we come out here and our friends gave us this big going away party and we had all these people send us off mm -hmm. really well. And then a year later, we're like, we couldn't do it. We have to come home. And I remember a few friends, I think meaning from a good place, were like, you can always come back. And I was like, oh, but I don't want to. Yeah. Like, I don't. No, I don't. I can't walk into this adventure having a fallback. I need to go all all in, and I hate that phrase, go all in. But but really, truly, I couldn't have a well. Just in case it doesn't work out, I'm going to go this way. Yeah, which is why it took us several years to make the decision. We right. really process this all, and not just you know, in the middle of the night just decide let's just pack our bags and go. Yeah, and the and then the fear of failure of like, did we? <laughs> this is so crazy. Did we find the right house? Did we find the right school? Are we going to find the right church? Did we make the right friends? What do you say? Did we get the crazy? right car? It's all fear of failure, thinking that, forgetting that failures can be some of the best things that ever happened to us, mm -hmm. um, which comes from a perfectionist mindset, I think, that I inherited of, like, get it right. It wasn't like, this could go wrong, but that's okay, too. It was always get it right and do your best. And there was never a plan B of if it didn't. Yeah, and I think it sounds like, these numbers are a little bit both nurture and nature, right? So yeah, you're in an yeah. environment, so that's fostering which one you might fall into, but there's probably also a genetic disposition to a certain mm -hmm. one as well. Um, and so part of the reason we're, you're six and I'm a seven, mine might be just from my upbringing and the experiences that I had, and it's my coping mechanism to deal with some of the pain. Mm -hmm. And rather than deal with it, I it's not there, right? It doesn't exist. Well, and to, your personality also is very... You're funny and you're sarcastic and everyone took, looks to you for a joke. You're typically like babies of the family, mm -hmm. always looking for a laugh. 
which is your role in Always your family. giving a laugh, not just looking for it. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, you know, I think what's interesting about us is we both have to coach each other up into how to respond to fear. So you just mm-hmm. talked about like you always have that fear of failure and it's always always going to result in the worst case right. scenario. And it's hard for you to see the other side to that. And then I'm usually painting that other picture because that's where I naturally go. It's Absolutely. Like, what if it turns out here? What about this? Did you think about this? I think the difference too is that you're an extrovert and I'm an introvert. And so when I have those fears, I keep them in. Mm-hmm. And they go over and over and over in my head and my heart. And then they cause nervous stomach or a bad attitude or restless sleep. And so I remember learning this with you, oh, probably seven or eight years ago when we had had all the adoption losses and Mm -hmm. miscarriages. And I was so afraid to adopt again. And um, I remember our counselor said, and write down in your journal like every fear that you can think of, whether small or big, just write every single one down, which was so easy for me to do. Yeah, to I think I filled two pages. Um, the problem was, A, it was stuck in my head, and B, I could not um, turn the coin over and see the other side. I, I had no ability to do that. And so then when I showed it to you, you so graciously walked through it with me and, and basically, like, for every negative, you then turn the coin over and showed me the positive, which just because of the trauma that we had gone through, I wasn't able to get there. Yeah. And then with practice, I'm more easily able to get there now a days. I'm able to think, well, what's the worst that could happen? This could happen. Okay, well, what are the chances of that happening? Slim to none. Okay. And then come come back to the yeah. moment. And I think we've – thinking going back to those adoption experiences – we kind of did the same thing as we we do today, but we both hear each other in a different way. So, mm-hmm. like, when we had the adoptions fall through, I remember the first one that fell through at the hospital. Um, a day or two later, I was like, okay, we'll just get right back at it. You know, <laughs> let's just sign up tomorrow and yep. let's get going. And you're like, uh, I'm going to be under a rock for a while. I need to just collect myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I didn't understand. I didn't, couldn't get why you were doing that. I didn't understand the response. Like to me, the, the healthy, the best way was just to get right back at it. Um, and so we still tend to respond in those same ways, but AI, I already know if we have a hard experience that we walk through to wait before I'm ready to like cheer us on to the next, to the next step. And also expect, I expect you to have that desire to sort of disconnect and, and reflect and take a take a breath before you pursue so I'm not holding you to some standard that you're able, not able to reach and right. um, vice versa you're you're more understanding when I'm you know on to the next thing and but you're also comforting to tell me like hey why don't you take a moment and breathe and sit down before you pursue this so we kind of always did those years ago but we heard it through ears of like frustration and right like, or criticism oh, yeah and just yeah why are you why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you understanding me? And we really didn't understand ourselves to even know how to get the other person to understand who we were. So uh, I think that's been the biggest revelation for us over time. And that's been the helpful thing with this Enneagram for us. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of, we have some friends who they'll never take the test and are not interested in it. And I get it because mm-hmm. it does seem like another personality test. Um, but I can just attest to how much it's meant for us it's, as far as how we see each other. Well, yeah, and it's helped me. It's helped me be more empathetic to people um, and to myself as well. That especially when when you start to understand it and you kind of understand the tendencies with the different numbers, you can 
you're not supposed to do this, but it's pretty hard not to. You're not supposed to try to like label people as numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my mind, it it often helps because it helps me see the way that I think that they're seeing the world and to not get upset with the, the way that they might react mm-hmm. toward me. Um, that you realize how different we all are and how we do need each other. And um, some of my best collaborators in work are those whose numbers are way different than mine mm-hmm. and their Myers-Briggs are the exact opposites. Um, that when we partner together, we make we make a great team Whereas some of my friends who are my same number, we sure have a lot in common, but then we get ourselves stuck in a little mm-hmm. pity party yeah. <laughs> sometimes about it. But the, the fact that it can help you find connection, uh, it's made me braver out here as well. Like one of my biggest fears of moving out here is that I would not be able to make connection or find friends. Be- and I, that actually goes back to a root fear that I've had since fourth grade. Hmm. I, I Just clear as day, I know when that started. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the funny thing is that my Enneagram number, I am like one of the most loyal friends. They always say like, if you can choose a oh, friend sure. who will be there through thick and thin, you need an Enneagram six. Mm. Um, so I think I just so desperately want that with people. But then I realize not everybody wants that or needs that. So that helps me kind of move through. But I have to be able to extend my hand and introduce myself despite the fear of rejection or it might not be a friendship because that could also be my next best friend. And I just... Mm-hmm. But how, if I don't stick my hand out and say hello, then yeah. how will I ever know? Yeah. Yeah, I think for us, is this whole Enneagram thing has just been another layer on top of years of counseling, therapy, um, hard experiences, good experiences. And it just helps provide another lens. You know, it doesn't, like, replace all. And if you if you take one personality test in your life or you do one thing like this, it should only be an Enneagram. But I think for us, it's just given us a little bit more light. What would you tell... You know, we've talked about a lot of it in our personal lives. Maybe share a little bit about how it's impacted your business mm-hmm. um, sense and how you've connected with your coworkers, clients, and then just help people think through it, like how that might be beneficial for them with fears they might be dealing with in the career in, in their career world. Yeah, when I I was the first one in my company to to do it and read about it, um, and I kind of secretly <laughs> use it as a little superpower unbeknownst to my coworkers. Uh, specifically there's a great website um, from the Enneagram Institute I think it's EnneagramInstitute.com mm-hmm. and you find your number and then it, it tells you um, basically like how you work best what are some of your triggers and then how you relate to the other numbers <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I would read that and this since then, everyone on my team has taken this test, so all nine of us know know one another's numbers. But before that, I would I would read up on the other numbers and think like, oh, I think that's her. Mm-hmm. I think okay, and then I would go to how a six relates to a one, and and it would say you know try <laughs> try this phrase or try that, and I would try and I'm like, well that worked, mm-hmm. okay. Or others like nope that's nope that's definitely not their number. Um, so that really helped me. It helped me. I work with a lot of very passionate visionaries and entrepreneurial leaders who are are kind of like you in that like let's go let's do this thing let's start this thing mm-hmm. who's with me and then i'm back there saying well do we have a plan and is there a map and did you pack the supplies mm-hmm. are you sure we have everything which again the loyal skeptic like i'll go with you leader 
but I also need to play devil's advocate and help you see some of the blind spots that you have. And so I think that has helped tremendously. And then everybody on our team ended up taking the test. And some people waffled between numbers and some people knew their numbers right away. Um, But it's really helped us as a team to listen with a different set of ears. I know a couple of people on my team um, are similar in, in kind of the way that they feel and view clients. And before the Enneagram, I would have thought like, uh uh-oh, this is bad. They're, oh boy, they're going to quit. Or I'm going to have to help with this and this. But now knowing their numbers, I realize, oh, that's just how. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's just them processing that. Or to look at someone else and not be annoyed of like, she did it this way and this way and this way. I would never do it that way. Mm -hmm. Well, of course I wouldn't do it that way. But that doesn't make her way wrong. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, again, I think that's always the hesitation people have with these tests is they don't want to be labeled or they don't want to label everybody else to these lenses. But I think when you, you find it helpful is when, as you just said, you have that acknowledgement that we're all different in this in this world. And so, for example, I know I need your input in my life because everything will be, everything's worth jumping off the cliff for, right? Mm-hmm. And here's another new idea and I just want to create this and do this, but I don't ever think about the pitfalls, the concerns, the 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 things I should think about in ahead of time. Um, I'll get there eventually, but that's usually after they've already hit me versus like preparing for them and versus, and you, I think need the counter of that. You know, you can sit mm-hmm. in the fears and never move forward and you need somebody to, to rally you and go, let's go, let's take these steps of faith and yeah, or hey, it's, the dangers before. It's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> there will be fun with it. Yeah. It will be fun. I mean, that's your number. I mean, you're the enthusiast. And so I, I need that because I might just get so boggled down in the fear or like, you know, I think about a couple of weeks ago, we went to the top of Pike's Peak mm-hmm. and I hate heights and I'm just driving up those curvy roads. It's kind of fearful. And you did a really great job of like pausing in safe places, not being stupid and risky, where I think old Joe might have been a little stupid sure. and risky um, and pausing and saying, hey, guys, look out there. Look how beautiful it is, and and instead of me white knuckling it to the top of like we just got to get to the top, we just got to yeah, eyes closed, yeah, yeah, eyes closed, right. And so you are helpful in our family in in doing that, and then always being always being up for an adventure or adding something like even as we're you know thinking about planning a trip to Europe, I kind of got laser focused on we're, we're going to go here and we're going to do this. And you're like, well, what if we would, what if we did this? Yeah. The list got a little long. Yeah, my, but. <laughs> in my world, we're visiting every country in Europe. But yeah. but I still appreciate it because uh, I can get so focused on on what I think is the safe option that I, I forget. Mm-hmm. I mean, we wouldn't be where we are if we played it safe. We wouldn't have adopted. There's no way because mm-hmm. that's a giant scary thing. And we wouldn't have stopped our life and picked it up and moved it across the country because that's another scary thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's we're definitely a good combination in that regard. It's fun too to watch Quinn, and I think you might have referenced this earlier, but you know, I think we're supposed to wait until what what year? What age is it? They say actually after twenty five because so much of your personality is changing. But there are elements that come up when you are young that kind of tend one way or the other. But yeah, you have that environment you're raised in, but then you also don't have a lot of experiences that impact your. Your number. Who you are, yeah, mm-hmm. and we kind of waffle back and forth because he because he's waffling back and forth. He's he's many days he's like me and just like let's do this. And then he, for example, going up Pike's Peak, he was like, "I'm so nervous, don't look over there." And it's just so funny because 
five minutes before he was ready to, you know, run up the mountain. Um, so it's just interesting to see him develop. And of course that'll change with experiences we don't even know are coming and, you know, we're creating an environment for him, but that will change with situations as well. I'm sure over time, but so anyways, thanks so much for your time. I know you've listened to, man, how many podcasts have you explored in this i lost track I, yeah. I have some helpful resources for your listeners sure what do you have um like i said the enneagram institute is a great one to give basically like a really kind of scientific overview okay. sacred enneagram is a wonderful book and then that kind of goes with also another podcast by an artist called sleeping at last mm-hmm. and he wrote a song for each enneagram number and he talks to the author, Chris Huritz, from Sacred Enneagram and talks through that. It's That's just beautiful. And, like, when you listen to the song about your number, I did. I, I was moved to tears because it, so, it was so me. Yeah, I feel like that's even, like, a good stepping stone for people mm-hmm. who haven't ever experienced it. If you just listen to that song, there's so many times where you just pulled in with that and then you want to maybe take another, another step. And he has such a great conversation about it. He does. What. And when, I was wa- when I've had friends who've waffled between like, I think I might be this or this, I'll say like, well, go li- listen to the Sleeping at, Pos- at Last podcast yeah. and whichever number song you most resonate with, that's probably you. Um, then there's also a book and podcast called The Road Back to You mm-hmm. by Ian Cron and Susan Stabile. And then Susan went on to write another book called The Path Between Us, and she has a podcast about that. Have you and read that one? Not yet. Okay. And then Ian Cron m- made the podcast Typology, which is another yeah. one. So I've, I've really enjoyed those. I can geek out a little bit sometimes too much about it. We've listened to quite a few on uh-huh. their trips, but, but they've been good. I mean, they're the, the people they interview are really interesting to hear their stories, whether you agree with the Enneagram or not. I mean, you just get a chance to hear their story, and there's probably pieces of that you go, oh, that right. can connect with that. And I think it helps you through the triads, the, the core motivation. So whether that's shame for the two, three, or four, or fear for the five, six, or seven, or anger for the eight, nine, and one, um, basically that you don't have to be stuck there. You need to know that that's there, but don't let that keep you there and say, well, I'm always a fearful person because I'm a six, mm-hmm. or I will always struggle with self-image because I'm a three, or I'm prone to be angry because I'm an eight. That's that's just not true. Yeah. It's you know, in relation, you know, we talked about how like the six and seven both have fear, but the seven goes up and the six goes down. In the eight and the nine, both have anger underneath them. The eight gets really angry and vocal, and the nine gets really quiet and retreats. Mm. But they both have anger at their core. Mm. So it's just interesting on how those triads work. Definitely. Thanks so much for everything. You're welcome. This is fun. We should be not our last podcast. We should do this again. Well, let's get that planned. Oh gosh, of course. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your story with us, both individually and just as a married couple. It's really interesting from my perspective, just as an unmarried person, you know what that looks like. And I admire you guys for your vulnerability mm-hmm. in that. Thank you. So in this episode, we just talked about ways to respond to your fears, looking at some unhealthy and hopefully moving toward healthy ways. So in this final phase of the episode, we wanted to offer kind of our sense of motion or a final ritual to consider. So this week, we'd encourage you to consider visualizing yourself sitting across the table from your fears. Maybe it's one, maybe mm. it's several, maybe it's a, a lump of things you determined. sitting across from one right now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hiding under the table. <laughs> um, so if you were to sit across the table from your fear, what would it look like? Give them a persona, give them a visual We want to know what, if you have a a fear of public speaking or a fear of flying, what would that fear look like if it were a person? 
Um, so to get even more specific, you know, decide what it would be wearing. Does it have a gender? Does it mm-hmm. have a smell? Would it be um, a manly voice or a womanly voice? You know, how does its voice sound? And and how do you hold a conversation with this fear directly across the table from you? Um, so once you've kind of created that persona, as scary as this might be, you know, talk to that person about your feelings, mm-hmm. about its role in your life, how it impacts you. And hopefully you can say that you don't want it to give you control anymore. Yeah, that's awesome. So hopefully you found some good value in this conversation. Um, just you know, Lindsay and me sharing our story and thinking through some of these responses to fear. Again, maybe you have some other ones that are helpful for you. We'd love to hear that. If you want to share those ideas with us, you can always email us at hi, hi at keyholemarketing.us. And if you do want to talk shop and if you've got some, some marketing needs, we're happy to talk that as well. So we'd love to hear from you in either case. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with uh, episode four in season two.